Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, there's no good transition here, you know? Uh, there's just not. Um, and and uh, the, the thing is, guys, is that I, I, had a, I got a message planned. There's, there's slides ready and, and all this stuff, and sorry about trip over that. Uh, and today I was going to talk about this idea of generosity. So this is what we've been talking, started last week, and we started the series called In God, God We Trust. And so I, um, I don't know, I think I kind of, I'm asking for a mulligan this morning. Uh, I'm asking for a mulligan in that um, I'm trying, okay? And, uh, and this is where we are. So the first scripture we were going to read together, go ahead and put it on the screen because at least we can say we talked about this, Daniel, what was prepared. We'll see what else happens. Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter 6, and leading up to this in verse 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, or where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key verse. For where your treasure is there your heart will also be. Down to 24, a few, few lines down, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You've heard this before. You've heard this before, these, 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 uh, these sayings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, these incredibly powerful things. And today, I was, I was hoping to talk about this idea of what are the practices that we employ to reach generosity. Because this isn't about making budget, this isn't about a building campaign, this isn't about guilting you. You know, we kind of say a couple things up front. If you're not part of Movement Church, you're off the hook. We're not going to have a commitment card at the end of this series where we're going to ask you to commit X amount of dollars over the year, next year, or something like that. Uh, it's not a thing where we're saying that, that, that if you don't give X amount, if you don't give 10% to the church, then you are failing. No, no, Jesus still loves you. Jesus still accepts you. Uh, we, can, we can be loved and fully accepted by Jesus, even if we don't pursue maybe what's in our best interest according to what Jesus teaches. But what we do say, what we do say is that generosity is better. We say that generosity is better. We often will say, and you maybe have heard me say this before, I said it last week, it's not that we want something from you. We don't want you to write a bigger check, but we want something for you. We want you to experience generosity because that's better. And so I was thinking about that as I woke up this morning and, and thinking about this message, and I don't know about you, but I'm addicted to my smartphone as anybody. I, I pull up, you know, what's, what happened in the news, and I, and I see people talking about Dayton. I think, well, no, 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 the, the, the shooting was in El Paso, right? It was at that Walmart, this tragic thing, you know, 20 people. It's just terrible, right? The shooting was there. That, what is this about Dayton? Dayton, Kentucky, or Dayton, Ohio, just up the road. What, what is going on there? And you, you, know, you read the news, and you see the news. And, and, and of course, you, you, I jump on social media, and, and, and people are upset, rightfully so. And people are saying things and, and putting things out there. And so I'm, I'm no way telling you what we should do, but I want to sit with this idea a little bit about how when I heard about El Paso as I was sitting in the Aldi parking lot with my kids while Heidi was inside shopping, because that's what a real man does, <laughs> uh, 
And I was listening to the radio, and, and all this comes in, and I think, oh, okay, yeah, another shooting, right? We were due for one. That's literally what I thought. It'd been a while. And, uh, and that really bothered me thinking about that. And then, and then messing, you know, waking up this morning and, and reading uh, and seeing this, and then I, I show up here, and I think, okay, well, I've got I've to cut this from my sermon because uh, I need to address this because this is something that's happening. This is something that we're thinking about, and, and how do I transition from talking about a mass shooting, you know, what, 60, 70 miles up the road, if that, and how do I talk about that and then talk about how you got to get rid of your debt and you got you to do these things to be more generous. Important practices, but maybe, maybe not so important in light of things. Now, like I said, I'm not trying to get political. I'm really not. I, I know and respect many of you in this room, or all of you that I know and, and, and I respect you, and I know that many of you are, are, are veterans, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm amazed at that level of service, that level of sacrifice and that commitment. It's a beautiful thing. It's something we need more of. I know many of you are, or I know some of you are, are in law enforcement or law enforcement adjacent. And, you know, I think about police and, and, and our day and time, like they're first, rep- first responders to our sin. Like they got to deal with the crap before anyone else does. And they got to usually deal with it um, in ways in which that no one should be prepared or have to deal with it. They're walking into horrible situations all the time. I think about those of, those of us that, uh, that own guns, and I, I don't know a non-responsible gun owner. I don't. Every gun owner I know knows what they're doing. Many of them have safes. Many of them are, you know, they keep things unlo- or unloaded and keep things separate. It's, they're, they're safe about it, right? But, but still, we live in this world where all this happens. So I think, well, we'll if we're not going to talk about the you know, policies and so on and so forth, because we're not. That's not, that's, that's not this is the proper venue for that, and, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. Ultimately, I have bigger goals than that. that when I think about this idea of, of what we do with this darkness, and I remember pulling up the, the you know, rechecking the, the songs we're going to sing this morning. I knew we were going to sing Tremble, and Tremble has these lines, the song that we just sang, this, this idea that, that in darkness, darkness trembles at the sound, at the sight, at the thought of Jesus. And that fear is silenced. And I was thinking about this idea of, in light of these things, these things that produce fear, the things that I think, I would hypothesize that many of the perpetrators who commit such violent acts have some sort of fear that's run amok in their lives and are responding in such a hateful, heinous way. And we could have mental health conversations and access to conversations, but at the root, what we're talking about is fear, right? And, and if you've maybe heard this before, that the most common phrase, the most common command of the Bible is do not fear. And Jesus, of course, speaks on this a lot. And so when I, when I come to this place and I think, well, do I really believe that? Do I really trust in God? Do I really trust that there is something powerful about the name of Jesus that banishes fear, that silences fear, that makes darkness, sin, evil, whatever word you want to say, makes it tremble. Because I don't know about you, but when I turn on the news and I see these things, I feel pretty powerless, right? You start to think practically, like, how do you stop such a thing? There's no good answer. You start to think, well, what do we do as a people? And there's, there's really no good answer. There's a lot of complicated possibilities. So when I, when I come to this place and I say, well, as a pastor, 
as someone who is trying to help people find and follow Jesus, what do we do in moments like this? What do we do in moments like this where it doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up? And I don't know about you, but I roll my eyes too when I see cliches thrown out like thoughts and prayers. Not because I don't believe in the power of prayer, but because I do believe in the power of prayer. And I do believe that prayer changes things, but I think that we throw that out too soon, too often, and too flippantly. See, I believe that prayer does, in fact, change things, not because I understand how it works, but because I don't. I believe prayer is a powerful thing because it's a force that is beyond my understanding, and I recognize that for the skeptic, there are all sorts of holes to plug in that argument. But this is what I do believe. I do believe that the way of Jesus is better. I do believe that the way of Jesus changes things. I do believe the way of Jesus brings peace and grace and truth and love in all ways. And I do believe this, when Jesus was on this earth and preaching and saying things like, don't store up treasures for yourself here. When he says things there later in 6, not to worry because who can add a day to their lives? When he says that, that if you ask for something, if you seek, if you knock, it will be given to you. He says that you shouldn't judge others. You should look at the plank coming out of your own eye while you try to get the speck of sawdust out of someone else. I believe that these things that Jesus said weren't just some sort of personal spiritual experience that we are supposed to have in a, in a siloed part of our lives. That I believe that the way of Jesus encompasses everything. And, and, and so when I, when I talk about following Jesus, I am not saying pray this prayer, get baptized, come to church every Sunday, give, serve, whatever. I'm saying let your life be changed. Because this is what I believe about Jesus. I believe that Jesus wasn't messing around. It was not calling for people just to act a little better or believe something in their hearts alone. What I think Jesus was doing was trying to upset everything. And so why does Jesus talk so often about money? Because this is the thing that holds on to us. This is the thing, because with money, with security, when I think about how I have my relationship with money, is that I find security in things. By having money in the bank, I find security in that. Provide for my family. That's an idol. An idol is anything that you put in a place where only God should be. And I think at the root of my idolatry of money is an idolatry of associated with fear and so when we're in these places in these moments where we are afraid it's easy to react it's easy and sometimes okay to shoot off a missive on social media it's easy just to say well we should do x we should vote in this we should adopt this policy it's easy to do that and there are some productive conversations around those things but i think first and foremost we have to identify the idol in our lives I think for many of us, we have an idolatry of fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of things that are different, fear of threats, fear of challenges. It's not saying that we shouldn't be prudent. Jesus says that we should take in the cost, that we should be aware of things. But he doesn't say that we should live in fear and worry so much that we never do anything. That we never pursue something better. It's so easy just to blame, right? Man, it's easy. 
It's so easy in hindsight to say, well, if we just banned this weapon, this person wouldn't have gotten into it. If we say that, that this, if this, this aspect of the law was changed, this would be fine. If we said this politician would have said this about this thing, then things would have been fine. It's, it's so easy to do that. But at the heart, what is going on is that we have a sense of fear. And we allow that fear to run our lives. So when I ask myself, do I, do I believe these things? Do I believe these things that we sang? Do I believe the words of Jesus? Do I believe in this idea that I can't serve two masters, whether it be money in God or fear in God or patriotism in God or whatever it might be? Can I serve two masters? No, I can't. And I think the only way forward here, if I believe that the way of Jesus is better, the only way forward is for us as a people is for us, not as Americans, but for us as a people, a people of God, to say that we are going to pursue these things of Jesus. And as we see when Jesus was alive, and as we have seen over the last 2,000 years, this is messy, this is complicated, and it's full of false starts. But what we do see is that Jesus is so loving, is so willing to put up with our crap, so willing to be patient, so willing to hold back that he continues to give us chances and he looks to us, the church, which is in a building, the global historical church, even, even people that you disagree with theologically, but everyone that claims the name of Jesus in every church building, whenever and however they meet, are supposed to live differently and pursue this Jesus so we start there we start there let me pray for us God I want to start there I want to look at this place and say that hey that that church on that corner is I want people to say that that's a church that loves Jesus and there's a bunch of messed up people that go there there's a bunch of people that disagree on everything, and they go there. And not only do they go there, but they're involved there, and they're pursuing something better there. And if they really started talking about their political views and their, their views on how to raise their kids, and if they really got together and started talking about how, what their preferences of things and, and all the things, all the issues, we have, they would find such disagreement, but they would continue to find agreement on Jesus. I think this is our only way forward. And so, God, I'm praying that you would challenge each and every one of us in our own way, in our own time and place, to pursue what you have for us. To not just fall into this trap of, of pointing fingers and blame, but also not to fall in the trap of just throwing up our hands and becoming cynical. To not demonize one group because of the fact that they have guns in their home or to demonize one group because they, they voted this way or to demonize another group because they have opinions on this issue, this political football that might be up in the air at the moment. But that we would be a people that would come and we would focus in on Jesus. Let that be true of us. It's in your son's name. Amen. So I don't, I don't know how to transition. I think I, what I had prepared to say was, is important, and so I'd like to give you a little bit of what we're trying to say. And Daniel back there at the computer will try to keep up, and it'll be fun for all of us to figure out how we do. But this series, In God We Trust, is about this idea that generosity is better. 
And it comes at this idea of what we were just talking about, that we can't serve two masters, right? We can't serve two masters. And when we follow Jesus, when we're about Jesus, everything comes into line, okay? But there's a study that came out that talked about, from I think it was from Career Builder, that 78% of Americans who have a full-time job, 78% of Americans who have a full-time job live paycheck to paycheck. If you think about that fact, and by those numbers, most of you are in that spot, there is an immense amount of stress that comes with that, right? There's an immense amount of fear that comes with that. So whenever we talk about generosity, the first thing that we have to do is deal with this idea, this stress, this reality that's true for so many of us. Because pick your issue, if fear reigns, if fear is the dominant thing, we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to make progress. We're never going to pursue Jesus if we're so afraid. Because fear keeps us right where we are. And so we think about this from a financial standpoint, from a, just a you know, bare bones, basic, very uh, 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 pragmatic approach and say, if this is where we are, then of course we are going to be incredibly frustrated. You know, Jesus says that, that this in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Once you first, down, first sit down, estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. What we see over and over again in the Bible when they talk about money is that there is, there is intention here, right? This doesn't just happen. We don't live a life of freedom. We don't live a life full of grace and truth and love pursuing Jesus by accident, right? Everything in us wants to go and pursue things that we can produce that will give us security with our jobs or our bank accounts or, or whatever in terms of how we raise our kids. We're going to pursue these things. So very simply, this morning, I want to kind of talk about the time I have remaining, just three basic ideas for us to move forward in this realm, and it's this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Early on, right before I got married, my, uh, the guy who ended up marrying us, a mentor of mine, kind of took me aside and said, I, he asked me some questions about my finances. I was 21. I didn't have a plan about my finances, right? Like, like no 21-year-old man like, has it mapped out what he's going to do. And so I just kind of gave him a blank stare and tried to like, give some generalities, you know how you do when you don't have any idea what they're talking about and just hope the conversation moves on. And he took a piece of paper and he says, all right, all right. He saw through all my you know, BS. He says, this is what you're going to do. And he wrote three numbers at the top. He wrote 10, 10, and 80. He says, here's what you're going to do. 10% of everything that comes in, you're going to give back to the church. Okay. And he says, all right, another 10%, you're going to put that way, you're going to save. Okay. And then 80%, you, you can live on that. I'm like, all right. I had no idea of a plan, but he gave me this, and it was an incredibly important thing. And he wrote underneath that, give, save, live. And it's a very simple, a very, very basic understanding of what we need to do with our finances. That for us, not just in terms of maximizing finances, but dealing with these idols, dealing with this fear, dealing with this pursuit of security, this basic pattern sure does help. So the first thing, this idea of giving, this idea of giving, this idea of being a, a generous person, I'll, I'll say this up front, you can make the argument that you should give 10% back to a local church. You can make that argument from the Bible. I, I understand where you're coming from. You could also make the argument, according to Jesus, that you should give everything away. I understand that argument. But here's what you cannot argue with as I read Scripture. You don't have an option on generosity here. You do not have an option. So if you're not being generous here, that's fine. Be generous somewhere else. 
okay? If you are not pursuing generosity, so you don't reach some number and you say, okay, I'm good, then I think you're doing generosity wrong. It should be an incremental, something that you increase. I'm not saying give it all to us, give it all to movement. Do so if that's where you feel led. Do so if that's what you believe according to Scripture. Do so if you entrust us to be good stewards of that. If you don't, go find somewhere else where you can. Because I don't want something from you, I want something for you. I believe that generosity is better. The second, the second big principle is this idea of saving. And you can jump online and, and, and find things like Dave Ramsey and other financial classes that are great and faith-based and wonderful and something that Heidi and I have gone through. And it is the least fun thing to do as a married couple for me to sit down and do a budget. It's like number one is doing a budget, number two is talking about calendar, right? But let me tell you this, it makes my marriage better. It makes my marriage better, Okay. I don't want to sit down and do a budget. I don't want to sit down and look at where every dollar went and all these things. I don't want to sit down and say, we owe that much to Sally Mae. We owe that much to whatever bank lended us money for this car. We owe this much to whatever mortgage company happens to own my mortgage that month. We don't, it's not fun to sit and look at those things, right? But there comes a point where you've got to get real. You've got to do an audit of what's going on in your life. And you are not going to be able to move forward to save if you are under this kind of debt. If 78% of us are living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, if we talk about the immense amount of credit card debt that we accrue, we've got to have a plan for this, right? We've got to have a, a, a practical plan to move forward. If we believe that generosity is better, and we say that's where we want to go, we need to develop some steps to get there. Something that helped us, something that helped me through uh, Financial Peace University or the Dave Ramsey plan or whatever plan you want to go with or whatever is just to look at things and figure out what we're going to do. So there's a couple things I think are really important. The first thing is as you save is you got to have an emergency fund because life happens. Cars break down, people get sick, kids get sick, things happen. You need to have some money in the bank so you don't just have a, an emergency and you pull out Mr. Visa, right? You don't go to like a payday loan because you're just so desperate. You need to have an emergency plan. The second thing is you need to have a debt reduction plan. You need to list out all your debts. And sometimes people call this the debt snowball system, right? You figure out your, your debts and you figure out, okay, what do I owe? And what's my minimum? And you say, well, I'm paying the minimum on all of these things, but I'm going to pick the, the smallest of these debts. And I'm going to take whatever I can and throw everything I can to pay that off as soon as possible. So let's say we're adding an extra $100 to that, that plan. Once that's done, that $100 rolls into the next thing that we owe, and on and on, on we go. But you have to have a plan to pursue this stuff. You look, if you Google debt snowball, you'll come across this thing. The, second, the third thing that I think is really important when we talk about saving are short-term goals. Like, we're like six months. We're not even six months. We're like four months away from Christmas time, from shopping, right? This is coming up. Next time you're hanging out with your parents, this happened to me this weekend. My mom is already asking me questions. Well, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? When are you coming over for Christmas? Like number three on things I can't stand is that conversation with my mom, right? She listens, she listens to the podcast, but she doesn't. I don't, she says she does. I don't think she does. So we'll just, we'll just run that risk. It's right. But you, you got to have some short-term goals. you got to know what you're doing. you got to have some plans. And then finally, you got to have some long-term goals, right? you got to figure out how you're going to get there. you got to figure out what you're going to do. Perhaps you would like to retire someday, right? Perhaps you would like to get to that point where you're able to be generous in a very big way. 
that you have to have some plans. Just as a way of example, let's pick a, a newlywed couple. They're 25, all right? Let's say that they make about $55,000 a year. And if we stretch things out, if we look at this couple, this couple over that, that time frame, and we said that over that period, between then time that they become 65, over that 40-year period, and they get zero raises, they get zero raises, they make 55 grand a year for the rest of their lives, for those 40 years till they retire. If they did the 10-10-80 plan, they would have given $220,000 back to God. They would be able to gener be generous with that much money. And they would have had saved for retirement $2.5 million with just some basic investment, just some very basic things. Like, like, this is something that works, but it requires us to pursue these things over a long term. It requires us to put our idols in the right spot, in the appropriate lane. And so many of us, when we say, yeah, we'd love to give more, yeah, we'd love to save more, it's because we just focus on that third thing, live. We start there. And we go beyond what we can do, and no one intends to get into debt, but there we are. And we're in that spot, and we're in that spot where it's, where it's crippling, and there's anxiety, and all we're doing is trying to get to the next thing, trying to get to the next paycheck, trying to get to the next place where we can get those phone calls to stop. You know, if we're living, so many of us, nearly 80% of us, if we're living paycheck to paycheck, there is all sorts, all sorts of anxiety and stress there and fear. But when we think about what we're going to do moving forward, if we're going to think about how we have to live, we have to get the right things in order first. And we need to ask ourselves, what in my life is in the place of God? What are those idols? What are those things that I bow down to that I don't give over to God? What are those things in my life that I say this is more important? I would never say this out loud, but the truth is this thing is more important than my relationship with God. That if we don't deal with this first, nothing will change, and I'm not just talking about our finances here. That we have to understand where this is going on. So here's the challenge. If you're in a spot where you are not financially free, you need to do an audit of yourself, and it is not fun. You need to figure out what's going where and what your plans are. Maybe you need to do a budget. Maybe you need to have some short-term goals. Maybe you need to put together that emergency fund, but you need to take a step. And a much bigger thing by way of challenge is maybe you and I need to step back and say, what are those idols in my life? What are those things in my life that I hold more dear? Even really good things, like our kids. Even really good things, like our country. Even really good things, like providing for those that we love. And we need to ask ourselves, how is this an idol? How have I allowed something good? Because that's so often what it is. It's something good. It's not an evil thing. And we've put it in the wrong seat. We see it so clearly with our money. It's so obvious with our money. You sit down, you look at what you're spending your money on, you're going to make changes. But I think also, if we step back and we think, what is, where's my heart with all this? 
What am I really investing in? What am I really getting upset about? What am I really pouring myself into? Where am I spending my time? Then we begin to understand more. Because here's, here's the thing. That as we consider these, these moments, these moments of fear, of anxiety, whether it be with finances or the news or some sort of personal tragedy, it feels as though it's coming out of left field so often, right? And many times it is. But other times we can look back and we say, we see this, how it all led up to this point. There was, there was kind of a plan here. And we think to ourselves, God, why didn't you act? Why didn't you step in here? Why didn't you stop this from happening? Why am I going through this? And we find ourselves in the spot where we are forced to make a, a decision, so to speak. We can either believe that God doesn't care, or we can believe that God cares in a way that we don't understand. And we don't just throw away these trite sayings or whatever, but we sit with this. I choose to believe that God cares, but I don't always understand how he cares. And for me, this is helpful, but this is also true as I read Scripture. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to have a, a time of, of, of our communion. But before we do that, I want to...